All right, Forge family. Uh, the last podcast I put out was I laid out a historical platform. There were maps and pictures and historical items and things like that for you to view um, and try and place uh, Zechariah in the midst of that 150-year period. Um, because the Lord was in the process of shifting his people from Babylon back to Judah. And um, in the process, there was a decree that the Jews were freed and they were to take the temple implements back and they were to rebuild the temple because Cyrus was a man who uh, Isaiah had identified 150 years before his, before his time by name and said, this man is going to be God's man. And he had an encounter with God and turned and decreed that the Jews are free. Uh, they're out of bondage. They could go back to Jerusalem and they were to build a temple for God. <clears throat> uh, in um, 536, 50,000 Jews got themselves up out of, from the, the, the water courses of Babylon. They lived right up next to the rivers. And a tiny percentage, a little remnant of them, 50,000, went back to Judah. And when they got there, they built a temple in Jerusalem to restart some of the worship, some of the, the, the bringing of sacrifices to the Lord. And then they went ahead and laid out the foundations for a temple. And then they got tired. They flagged. They just sort of went, ah. And there was significant op- opposition because the people who got missed by the Babylonians, who were hiding in the caves and hills and bushes, that stayed in the land when the rest of Judah went off to captivity. They intermarried, and they didn't like 50,000 people coming back to take over land that they had, they'd owned 90, excuse me, 70 years before. So uh, they, there was some, some significant abrasion uh, regarding that. And then in 522, Darius I, king of Persia, gets his... his uh, nation, his vast nation, settled. And in his second year, he reviews the contents of the archives of, of Cyrus and discovers that there's a decree that the Jews are to go home, that they're to rebuild a temple. And so he not only approves of that, he funds it. <clears throat> in 520, work begins again on the temple. And it was then that Haggai was called by God to prophesy. And two months later... Zechariah was called as well. So I want us to pray as we begin this book of Zechariah. Uh, it's new territory for me. I've never taught this before, and I'm, I'm being blessed and stretched. Okay? So, Father, these next six verses were spoken by you to Zechariah to rock his world and the world of those returning Jews. This passage is anchored to Scripture that came, it was, came out of the, your mouth, came by Holy Spirit, through the mouths of your servants. So, Lord, we, we want to be hearers who act on what you say and not those who just end up enduring captivity. We are ready, Lord, to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So find Zechariah 1 in whatever, in whatever form, digital or paper or in your head. Whatever, you know, if you've got it in your head, praise God. Uh, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. Now, no king reigned in Jerusalem, and so the prophet Zechariah has to time his writing by 
what was happening in Persia. Judah is now a Persian protectorate, if you will. They, they had to pay, they had to pay, typically they had to pay some tribute just to be covered a little bit by the Persian benefits that came their way. Okay? So he times his, his letter to the, um, the second year of Darius. When you read the Hebrew scripture, the phrase, the word of the Lord, comes up often when you're, in, when, the, when you're in the prophets. And it's a technical term for prophetic revelation, prophetic speech, prophetic demonstration sometimes. Yahweh has something to say 30 times to Jeremiah and 50 times to Ezekiel. And in each case, it came in that, in that, in that format. The word of the Lord came to those prophets. The word of God comes, but it also comes to be fulfilled in truth, in reality. It isn't just words. Okay? The word of the Lord comes to destroy and to deliver and to restore, and it appears 14 times in the book of Zechariah. The Lord alone has the right to absolute sovereignty, and his rule stands supreme. One of the ways he demonstrates this sovereignty is the fulfillment of of prophecy. Here, God has given a priest whose name was Zechariah, calls him out, and his name means God remembers. So in verse 2, Zechariah begins, and it is the word of the Lord that is a call to repentance. He begins with, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Three times, same verse. So you get the sense of who it is that's delivering this. It's not Zechariah. He opens his mouth and out it comes. So family, why was the Lord angry with Judah? Now, if you recall, the minority of kings in Judah were godly. And the majority of the kings were ungodly men who worshipped on the high places, served the Baals and the Asherah, sacrificed children, their children and others, to Molech and Chemosh. They shed much innocent blood and led the people into darkness. Early on, the Lord God began to warn Judah that they and their kings were out of compliance with the covenant that Israel had made with them. Ultimately, Judah pushed away the prophets of God and would not listen. In 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16, sums it up. And the Lord, the God of, our, of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Now Judah received in measure what the Lord had promised to Israel in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 68. And I was going to read that text to you, but having read it out loud twice to myself, it is a horrific piece of scripture. And uh, not all those curses listed in that in, that, in those verses, not all those curses fell on Judah, but many of them did. So if you want to know what stiffened the spine of Zechariah, you can go and read that text. 
but it's not for your morning devotions. Trust me. Now, who is this Lord of hosts? Three times he's introduced himself. Hebrew name is Yahweh Savaoth. Okay? God of armies. God over all the powers of the heavens and the earth. God Almighty. He is portrayed as a warrior God who brings both judgment and salvation to those who repent and turn to him. We are first introduced to Yahweh Savaoth in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. Remember, we, we studied the, the life of Samuel. And it was Elkanah and his wives and their children that went up annually. They went up to the tabernacle in Shiloh and they worshipped Yahweh Savaoth, the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> it is this Lord who is calling Judah to return to him. The Hebrew word for return is shuv, to turn, to return, to repent. In other words, it is a complete turnaround. It's a 180. You, you turn from the direction you're going and what you were embracing, and you turn from it, and you go the other way. Isaiah 31.6 summarizes Isaiah's call to Judah. Return to him from whom you are deeply defected, O sons of Israel. And here in verse 2, the Lord commits himself to shuv. He personally commits himself to do this, to turn back to Judah. He had turned away because he could not countenance their continuous, repetitive, gross sin. So he turned away. Now, if Judah will repent and turn back, the Lord of hosts will turn back to them. There's a man named George Klein that I'm really enjoying some of his studies. He, um, particularly in Zechariah, but other, other passages. And um, he quotes the writings of Augustine. And uh, Augustine was dealing in his book specifically on God's grace. So in, in the uh, disputations between Pelagius and Augustine, Augustine gave careful attention to verse 3 of Zechariah chapter 1. Return to me, and I will return to you. Augustine strongly opposed the Pelagian view that God extended his grace based upon the recipient's merits. In contrast, Augustine argued that God gave his grace freely, but on the basis of, not on the basis of human worth to receive that grace. <clears throat> Quote, one of those clauses, <clears throat> that which invites our return to God, evidently belongs to our will while the other which promises his return to us belongs to his grace Zechariah called to Judah and it's based on covenantal history and language in verse 4 Zechariah commands them to not be like their fathers their ancestors they heard the prophets of God and nearly unilaterally despised them, dismissed them, and wangled their way around any possible guilt that they might have felt, and kept going hard after evil practices. Second Chronicles, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, they're all larded with passages regarding the turning away from, of the ancestors of Judah being addressed by Zechariah. And then the Lord comes in and says, but they did not listen or give heed to me. <clears throat> now here, Zechariah and the whole canon of scripture rises up 
pointing to a holy God whose grace is sufficient, but whose wrath must be acknowledged. The forefathers of Judah did not acknowledge either God's holiness nor his wrath over covenant breaking, which led to moral and spiritual depravity. Verses 5 and 6 point out that those forefathers, those ancestors, and those prophets, they've passed. They're gone. They're off the scene. And some did repent and return, but too late to be spared from the promised judgment of the Lord for the whole of the nation of Judah. God's words live to be fulfilled. Zechariah is calling on the people to acknowledge the sins of the people corporately and generationally, as well as individually for themselves personally. He is calling on them to trust in God's promises and righteousness. If he says he will turn back to them, he will do it. Now, Forge family, right now, we, as part of the body of Christ, we who believe and trust in the inspired word of God are being tempted away from the voice of the Lord and from the word of God by those who have put personal beliefs at a higher level above biblical teaching and above biblical truth. Objective truth found in scripture is being dismissed and replaced with feelings, experiences, and opinions. And what that is essentially, what a person feels to be true, righteous, good, and moral becomes their ultimate authority and anchor. Core doctrines of biblical faith are being deconstructed and rearranged, redefined, reinterpreted on white, hot, moral issues. That redefining process is essentially a denial of the authority, the teaching of the doctrines, the historicity, and the promises of the Bible. The Bible has been kicked to the curb in America. If you go and pick it up and argue back from the scriptures, then you're labeled with the word that says bigot. The issue of biblical infallibility and inspiration is being dismantled by those that use the word inspired. But it means something entirely different to them. They put the Bible's inspiration on the same level as feel-good sensations from singing, sermons, and other religious books. There has come into the body of Christ a message that social justice must replace the message of sin and redemption. The very idea that God would send his own son to the cross to die is treated as an embarrassment by many who claim to be Christians. Even spoken of as cosmic child abuse. Thereby dismissing and denying the blood atonement work of Christ. This season for the church is one of both blatant confrontation with those who would dismantle an orthodox faith. And it is a season of sly and subtle shifts around us. Pointing away from Jesus Christ as Lord and pointing toward a faith that is based on one's own desires, feelings, and opinions. The word of God in our nation is being twisted, misunderstood, and disregarded, much in the same way that the word of the prophets of the Lord was dismissed and rejected 
by the, the uh, ancestors or the people standing in front of Zechariah. Many churches and denominations that have been on the slippery slope of doctrinal twisting have, that, you know, that has resulted in departing from the faith. Now, they're being swarmed. They're being swamped with what is known as progressive Christianity. Those two words should never be spoken back to back. They are antithesis from each other. This false belief system has departed from the faith that was delivered to the apostles, sustained by mothers and fathers of the faith. <clears throat> and then now these, these folks, those who, who claim to be progressive Christians, they want to swing the name of Christ into a political force that would radically change everything about America. I believe there's a call on America to repent. And that has to begin in the church. And so just so that we begin with church, if you find yourself today acknowledging that you've been led astray, uh, that you have elevated your feelings or experiences over scriptural truth, and that you find yourself believing a false gospel, turn, repent, return to the God whose grace alone can wash you clean, whose peace alone can restore you, whose mercy alone can rescue you, and he's right there. He's a breath away, waiting for you to come home. But, if you, the other possibility is, you are in relationship with those who are persuaded that Scripture is worthless. That the blood of Jesus does not save. And that for them, quote, what is, is right. Then I call on you to pray for them, to love them, and to speak truth to them. Do not fear them, because you stand with the, the Lord God Almighty, the Yahweh Savoth. And I ask you to align yourself with Holy Spirit as he keeps reaching out to them and to you. Be a Zechariah to them. As you live humbly before a righteous God and call them to the Lord of hosts by your words and your life. Let's pray. Lord of hosts, we are those who would be quick to hear your voice and obey. We're in the midst of a nation that's being deceived and there's spiritual miasma spreading through churches and Christian fellowships, through state houses and legislatures through schools and universities, through media and entertainment. Give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you say about such twisted doctrines, bent teachings, and deluded thinking that leads to immorality. We would be those who turn quickly, repent quickly, follow you quickly. Position us even as you placed Zechariah in the midst of your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.